0: As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up, turn it on to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, the central question of Easter is, who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is the Son of God, then the resurrection makes perfect sense. The atonement makes perfect sense because then you have the Son of God dying for your sins and mine, and overcoming death. But if he's not, then both the crucifixion and the resurrection do not really make sense because he's just a person. So in this series, the Savior, we have been discussing who Jesus is. And we've talked about how that when it comes to Jesus, there are a lot of different opinions. There are some that have a mystical or pantheistic type opinion of who Jesus is, that he is a supreme being or maybe an extraterrestrial being who came to earth and brought greater knowledge to us. And so if we can channel his essence, then we can be like Jesus. There are some that have a secularist or a moralist view of Jesus they essentially see him as a good man who taught love and who taught morals and ethics and he died because he believed in his cause to such a degree that he was willing to die for it there are some who who have kind of split from Christianity or perverted Christianity in some way because they see Jesus differently Perhaps they see Jesus as a prophet or as an example or as a pathway to God, but they don't see him as the Savior or. Are we going to sing again? Okay. They don't see him as the Savior or as the Son of God. And so what we've been trying to do is cut through all these opinions that people have about Jesus and ask the question what does the Bible say? And so there's four verses in the New Testament that are considered the Christ passages. Theologically they're called the Christological passages in the New Testament. One we looked at back at Christmas time, that's John chapter 1 and verse 1, where the Bible says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning." All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. You see, back in Jesus' day, the great philosophers of the time, they often emphasized words or the logos. In fact, in places like Athens, they would gather together to just share ideas and share words, thinking that words were the path to enlightenment. And John begins his passage saying, okay, in the beginning, before any of your thoughts, before any of your words, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word is the light to all men. The Word is the light of the world. And then we come to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, where the Scriptures say, He is the image... Of the invisible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And by Him, all things hold together. And a couple of weeks ago, we spent time just working through this particular passage of Scripture. And one of the images that really stood out to me is how Jesus is the craftsman of creation. That He takes the universe and He molds it and He shapes it. And He designed you. He designed you with your unique physical features and your personality and your spiritual gifts and your life story. And he designs you to be a part of his glory, to reflect his image throughout the world. And it is Jesus that sustains all of creation. You remove Jesus and his sustaining power and everything that we know literally implodes upon itself. That's what the scriptures say about Jesus. Or Hebrews chapter 1 passage of scripture that we looked at just last Sunday where it says in these last days he has spoken to us by his son God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him verse 3 the son is the radiance of God's glory now think about that imagery the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful words. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And in this passage, we learn that God has spoken. God is not a detached deity. He is not hidden. He has spoken. He has revealed himself to us and the ultimate revelation of who God is is found in and through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation expression of his nature and so if you want to know who God is if you want to know him and to understand his purposes and his ways and his character then you simply look to Jesus because when you see Jesus you see the exact expression of the Heavenly Father. And so we come to this passage today in Philippians chapter 2 where the Bible says in verse 5, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for His own advantage. You see, Easter is a celebration of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the Son of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. The Scriptures tell us that He is the King, the, 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 the King over all creation, the Creator and the Sustainer of all things, and the Giver of life. Whenever we celebrate Easter, We celebrate the Son of God. We celebrate God Himself. We celebrate the King. But then, the King descended. And we come to verse 7. And we see that He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, you see, the king, the sovereign one, made a divine choice. He took on the likeness of man. He took on flesh. And he assumed the form not of a king sitting upon his throne, but he assumed the form of a slave. Born under Roman oppression, born in poverty to such a degree that his crib was a feeding trough for animals, and he lived a life here on earth just like you and I live life. He went through the same pains and the same ups and downs that life has to offer. Hebrews 4 and verse 14 teaches us that we have a great high priest who has Passed through the heavens and who is that jesus the son of god and he is able to sympathize the bible says sympathize with our weaknesses that he has been tested in every way as we are and yet he lived without sin what are your weaknesses today what weaknesses do you bring to worship with you today I'll tell you mine. You ready? Here's my weaknesses. Dairy Queen. I discovered yesterday that Dairy Queen was a great weakness of mine. I was preaching in Austin yesterday morning and my daughter Karis accompanied me and we were coming back home and we just started playing this game where we were we would pick a category and we'd see who could stump the other. And so we were we were talking about flavors of ice cream and I we I would name one, she would name one, I would name one and then, you know, she would say like vanilla, and I started saying like Buster Bar, and she'd say chocolate, I'd say Dilly Bar, and so and the next thing I knew, uh, we were sitting under the Texas stop sign at Dairy Queen, <laughs> eating hot fudge Sundays, and I never really knew that was a weakness of mine, but apparently Dairy Queen is a weakness of mine, and I'm sure you have weaknesses too, but in all seriousness, we do bring with us to church some real struggles, And none of us in this room are without sin. We all have struggles in our life. Some of those struggles are a result of choices that we've made. We've done things that are wrong. And with every decision that we make, there's consequence. Sometimes it's a good consequence, sometimes it's a bad consequence. And when we do things that are sinful and wrong, we face the consequences of our sin here on earth. Sometimes we face consequences or struggles that are the results of other people's sins. And I know if we were to start telling our life stories, many of us would tell stories of how mom or dad, stepdad, neighbor, friend, whoever it might be, did some things that they should not, and you have faced a great deal of struggle in your life because you've had to deal with the consequences of others' behaviors. Some of the difficulties that we struggle with are the results of living in a fallen world. We live in a world that has a lot of darkness in it, a world that has been saturated by the sin nature of humankind, and every single day, our police officers deal with this every single day. We read about it in the news that there is a week, a story of somebody doing something awful. This past week, it was this 24-year-old 24, 24 young man in Austin who started making bombs and putting them on people's doorsteps. The evil that is in our society and the consequences that we as a society live with because of the decisions that people make to Sin against Almighty God. But the Scriptures say that the King, that God Himself descended and that He sympathizes with our weaknesses because He lived in this world just like we do. But He lived without sin. And what this means is that sin did not conquer Him in life nor in death. Sin could not wrap its tentacles around the King. And so the king's descent did not end when he reached the manger in Bethlehem or the upper room in Jerusalem. To redeem us, the king had to descend into the very valley of the shadow of death. And verse 8 says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And not just any death, even death on a cross. This was considered a cursed death. One that had been utterly scorned by society and God. It was 9 a.m. when the hammers began to ring. Many sermons have been preached and movies have been made that depict the agony of crucifixion. I think the Gospel writers capture it best with three words. They crucified Him. They crucified Him. And Jesus suffered in a sea of anger. The soldiers treated Him like a caged animal, offered Him vinegar to drink, mocking Him, gambling for His clothing, The religious leaders, those that were supposed to be leading people to God, they taunted the very news of God, heaped insults upon the cross, and exalted themselves by belittling others and mocking Christ as He died. Matthew and Mark both write that in the same way, the criminals themselves kept taunting Christ on the cross and in my mind's eye I can picture the scene of the three men hanging upon the cross and the anger that is surrounding the scene and through the agony and through the anger piercing this darkness comes grace comes these words father forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Father, pour your wrath out on me, not them, because their anger has blinded them. Drain their hearts of rage and fill them with grace. The king descended all the way to the point of death. My favorite hymn was written by a man by the name of Sir Isaac Watts. It's entitled, When I Survey The." wondrous cross and it inspired me to become a little bit poetic and write something that I want to share with you today I've entitled it the collision of the cross says the ringing of Calvary's hammer is a collision of pride and love the cross is necessary because of my pride but It is also necessary because of God's love. The cross is a clumsy display of my hideous pride and a graceful display of God's forgiving grace. On the cross, love is pierced by pride and grace is crowned by evil. On the cross, pride drains the veins of love and drop by drop, pride's antidote puddles below. When his head bowed in death, pride raised his head in victory. But when the earth stood still still, and the tomb stood open, it was pride that had died and love that was alive. The antidote to pride is the cross. When I look upon the humility and love of the cross, I see the magnificence of his love for me. And I have nothing left in which to boast. From the cross, the purity of His righteousness shines into the corners of my heart, exposing the darkness of my sin and contempt is poured on my pride. From the cross, the glories of money, power and fame lose their allure and my richest gain I count but loss. At the cross... My broken dreams, my manipulated relationships, my cold soul collide with love. And when my pride surveys His love, I bow beneath the cross. My faith is transferred from me to Him, and the drops of grace cleanse me and make me fully whole. At the cross, pride dies And love comes alive. Verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2 says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, for six hours on a Friday, the King descended into darkness. But our King did not merely descend the cold floor of death, He pierced the darkness, bringing light to all and life to those who believe. So what is the difference? What is the difference between our Savior? What is the difference between Jesus and other major religious leaders that have come onto the scene? How does Jesus differ from Muhammad or Joseph Smith or the Buddha or Gandhi. Well, Jesus didn't ask you simply to follow his teachings, be a better person, try harder. Jesus called you to believe. Jesus called you to come face to face with your inadequacies and understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And He called you to place your faith in Him. And it is through His power, and not through my power, and not through your power, that we are able to live a life of holiness and righteousness and live in relationship with our Heavenly Father. Christians call what happened on the cross the atonement. There on the cross, Jesus made an atonement for our sins. If you break that word down, it almost can read like the at one moment. It was the one moment that literally divides history in half. Without the cross, all history has to offer you is darkness. Without the cross, we really have no hope beyond the grave. Without the cross, the grave is the end of the story. But it is this one moment, this atonement moment, that divides history in half. When Christ dies for your sins. When He changes everything so that no one has to live in darkness, but all may live in light so that death is not the end of the story, but in fact, it's the very beginning of the story. This atonement moment when Christ changes everything by giving His life and ultimately overcoming death. And I have to ask you this question this morning. Have you had that at one moment in your life? We call that the moment of salvation the moment when you are born again the moment of belief the moment of conversion we have a lot of different terms for it but literally within your life it's the moment that divides your life in half where you look at your life as before Christ and after Christ it's that moment when you realize I am a sinner and it was my sins that put Christ on that cross And he died for me. He is my substitute, making atonement for my sins, doing for me what I could never do. And you come face to face with the reality of your sins, and you repent from your sins, and you place your faith in the Savior. That moment when you become a believer. Have you personally ever had that moment in your life? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to make today the day when you believe, when you place your faith in Christ. For most in the room today, you've had that salvation moment. And Jesus specifically taught us that we are to remember What he did for us. In fact he gave us a very specific way as the church. To remember what he did for us on the cross. And that is through the taking of the Lord's Supper. And so here is what we are going to do. As I reach the conclusion point of the message today. For those that have never yet believed. I am going to invite you to make this your moment of belief. For those who have believed, I'm going to invite you to remember your belief through the taking of the Lord's Supper. And so there will be some deacons here at the front. I believe we also have two stations. Steve, do we have two stations in the back? Okay, I think we may also. Let's just work with these right here, okay? And so you can come forward, receive the Lord's Supper. And what I want you to do is take that and just go back to your seat today, okay? I know sometimes I have you go back to your seat and pray together and then take it. Today, just take it, go back to your seat, and I'll actually lead the entire congregation in the taking of the elements. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as the deacons come to the uh, Lord's Supper table? We are going to have two stations in the back of the room as well. And so if you're sitting in the back half of the worship room today, you can go back to receive the Lord's Supper. If you're sitting in the front half, come forward to receive it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I, I want to invite you, if you've never had your moment, to make this your moment of belief. You say, Lash, I don't know what to say. I What do I say to God? Just confess your sins to Him. Right where you are, just confess your sins. Ask Him for forgiveness. And place your faith in the Savior. Give the Savior the totality of your heart. Trust in Him. And if this is your moment of salvation, when you're calling out to God, mark this moment. Remember where you're sitting. Remember what you're feeling. Go back to it. Because this is your moment of new beginning. Your moment of spiritual life. I would love to be a pastor to you and to talk to you more about what it means to be a believer. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but if today was your moment of belief, would you just look up at me and let me make eye contact with you? Today's my moment of belief, my moment of salvation. What a glorious day when people come alive in Christ. Father, we come to this point in our story when we remember what you have done for us. And so, Father, as we take of the bread and the juice this morning, we remember our Savior who died on the cross making atonement for our sin. We remember how the king descended, and we celebrate the life that is found through a story of death, knowing that the grave is not the end of the story. So, Father, I pray that during these moments that you will speak to our heart and that you might remind us of the magnificence of your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and that we partake of the Lord's Supper. Amen.